The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Take your Bible in hand this morning and come with me in the New Testament to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It is always a joy to gather with God's people at Emmanuel. We have so much to be thankful for. We were able to celebrate with Miss Donna this morning. And Miss Donna, thank you for giving us that privilege of celebrating God moving and stirring your heart and your life. Uh, thank you for your testimony this morning. Now, we celebrate our children who remind us that God works in the lives of little ones. He works in the lives of those who are growing and determining their values, what they will believe and how they will live. And we thank him for working in the lives of our children. And we thank the Father this morning, especially at Emmanuel, for all of the volunteers that work together, serving the Lord, loving the Lord through the ministry of this church that allows us to gather for worship. You, you see those who are musicians and instrumentalists on Sunday morning, and we thank them for their service. But there are so many who are behind the scenes. Yesterday morning, we gathered here to do some work around the church, and I was just so pleased and thankful for those who gathered to roll up their sleeves to do the work behind the scenes that helps us to minister effectively. And so uh, it's a joy to be a part of Emmanuel. Amen? To be a part of a family that loves the Lord, loves one another, and serves the Lord faithfully. You'll remember that Hoosier One is one of our primary focuses right now in the life of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We have asked the Father uh, to take that one person that he's laid upon our heart and give us the privilege of seeing them come into the kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ in this coming year. Some of those names you see on the slide in front of you today, they simply represent all of the names that you submitted as you turned in your commitment to pray and your commitment to share with your one. This morning, I want us to remember the names that you see on the slide in front of you, but to use them as a reminder of all of our ones that we have committed unto the Lord. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we lift up these names that you, you already know, hearts you already seek, lives you're already speaking into. We lift up these names today to remind us of the power of prayer. To remind us, Father, that you have placed on each of our hearts the name of at least one person who desperately needs a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, this morning as I lift up my one to you, as this congregation individually lifts their one to you, we ask for a movement of your Holy Spirit. We ask for opportunities to be bold witnesses for Christ. We, we beg heaven for the opportunity to see our one birthed into the kingdom through faith in Jesus. Lord, this morning we lift our one to you. And we ask you to do what only you can do. Convict of sin, draw to faith in Christ, birth them through your grace into the kingdom of God. We pray that. In Jesus' strong name, amen. 
Now that you have 1 Corinthians chapter 11, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? We're going to read together, beginning with verse 23. I'll ask you to read silently as I read aloud. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, would you help us to embrace intellectually the teachings of this passage, but more than that, Father, may they transform our hearts and our lives. May as we consume the bread today, may we as we consume the cup today, turn our eyes upon Jesus, who through his broken body and through his death makes grace available to all. We pray that in his strong name and for your glory. Amen. As you're being seated, I would remind you last Sunday morning we began a two-part sermon series on the ordinances of the church in Baptist life. Last Sunday morning we looked at the ordinance of baptism. This morning we turn our attention to the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Ordinances different from some denominations, are not bestowals of grace in the life of the follower of Christ. Some believe that when the wafer is received this morning and the juice is received this morning, that somehow God pours his grace deeper and in refreshing fashion into the life of the follower of Christ. We Baptists turn to the Lord's Supper and we see it as symbolic but the symbolism is real, and the symbolism is powerful. And so today we gather around three verses of Scripture, four verses of Scripture to understand the teachings of Scripture as it relates to the Lord's Supper. As we begin our study today, we look first of all at the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Why do we gather periodically as a family of faith around this table? Why do we many times throughout the course of a year, consume the bread and consume the cup. What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Come with me, if you will, verse 26, the purpose of the Lord's Supper. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, here's the purpose, you proclaim the Lord's death. The word proclaim that's used in that phrase of Scripture means to tell publicly. We gather this morning for the purpose of publicly declaring the death of Jesus Christ. We come today to tell the world, to tell our family, to tell our friends, to tell our community around us, and to tell the world Jesus Christ died. We're going to see why he died in just a moment, but, but that is the purpose of this gathering. That is the purpose for the bread and the purpose for the cup. We are to not privately share the death of Jesus. We are to publicly proclaim 
the death of Christ. Now, what are we to tell about the death of Jesus? Well, the Apostle Paul, who writes the book of 1 Corinthians, also wrote the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we discover from the pen of the Apostle Paul several things that we must proclaim publicly to the world about the death of Jesus. Romans 5, 8, Paul writes, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That passage of Scripture answers three questions today, three questions that we must publicly proclaim to the world around us. Question number one, what did Jesus do? Well, Paul tells us, what did Jesus do? Christ died for us. Some 2,000 years ago, on a middle cross lifted on Mount Calvary, Jesus Christ died for us. His death was not because he was guilty of any crime. His death was not because he was guilty of any sin. His death was because he was dying for us. He was dying for you. He was dying for you. He was dying for me. And he was dying for the world to whom we publicly proclaim the death of Jesus. We have a responsibility as we gather to publicly tell the world Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross for us. But there's something else that this phrase teaches us, this word teaches us. When did Christ die? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ladies and gentlemen, when Paul writes this phrase that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, he is not writing from a, a chronology perspective. He is not saying that Jesus Christ died in the same moment that you and I were committing sin. You know from your study of the Bible, you know from the study of history, that Jesus of Nazareth died some 2,000 years ago. So Paul is not speaking chronologically the same moment in time, the same moment in history that you and I were guilty of sinful thoughts and sinful attitudes and sinful actions that the Lord Jesus Christ was dying in that same moment of time. Not chronology, he's speaking of determination. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ is fully man, but he's fully God. As fully God, as 100% God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ has the ability to look through time and to see you and I 2,000 years later in our sin. As he hangs on the cross, as he's being crucified on the cross, he's able to look through the portals of time and to see my life and your life. And he sees the sinful thoughts and he hears the sinful words and he watches the sinful behavior and he determines that even while we are yet sinners, he will die for us. And so we gather around this table to say to the world, Jesus Christ died for us and he died for us determined to die, even though he knew of our future sinfulness. There's one last question that's answered that we must proclaim to the world. Why did Christ die? But God demonstrates his own love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Why did Jesus Christ die on Calvary's cross as payment for your sin and mine? Absolutely. So that you might have life everlasting and I might have life everlasting? Yes. So that we might enjoy abundant life on this earth, in this life? Underline exclamation point. But ladies and gentlemen, primarily when Jesus Christ was dying on Calvary's cross, he was doing so to show us the love of the Father for each and every one of his creation. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross to demonstrate God's love. As the nails pierced his wrist, as the nail pierced his feet, as the crown of thorns caused the blood to trickle down his brow, he was giving us a picture. He was painting a portrait, if you will, of the love of God for us. And so we gather around this table this morning for a purpose. We, we have a story, a message to proclaim to the world. Jesus Christ died for us. Even though he knew we would be sinful people, he died for us, and he died for us to show us ultimately the love of the Father. So there's the purpose of the Lord's Supper that we see this morning. The second thing that I want us to see are what I call the pictures of the Lord's Supper. There are two pictures that are given here in this passage of Scripture pertaining to the Lord's Supper. Picture number one, the bread. Look with me, verses 23 and 24. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he took bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. Picture number one, the bread. In a moment when the plate is passed, you're going to find small cubes of bread there for you to receive as the body of Christ, symbolic of the body of Christ, a picture of the body of Christ. But when Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room before his crucifixion, he used the bread of the Middle East Unleavened bread, flat bread. We, we don't know if it was square or round. That's not the point. It was the symbolism, the picture, when Jesus broke the bread to distribute it to his followers, to distribute it to his disciples. He was giving us a picture of his body that in just a few hours would be broken upon the cross. With, with each tearing of that flat, unleavened bread, the Lord Jesus Christ gives us a picture of how his body is going to be mutilated. He's given us a picture of the nails. He's given us a picture of the Roman pike in his side. He's given us the picture of the crown of thorns. He's given us the picture of the Roman scourge that mutilates his back. As he tears that unleavened bread, he is symbolizing, he is taking a picture, if you will, of what's about to happen to his body. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if we're not careful, this day and age in which we live, we will spend so much time thinking of the blood and the gore of the crucifixion that we miss the main point of the cross. Don't get me wrong, the cross is bloody. The cross is gory. It is a 
It is an instrument of death. It is the most horrendous death ever devised by man by the first century. It is filled with excruciating pain. But if we're not careful, we so focus on the blood and the gore that we miss what is said in the text, verse 24. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Perhaps the most important word in the phrase, you. This this blood, this gore, this breaking of the body of Christ on Calvary, it's for you. When he bleeds and he suffers and he dies on Calvary, it's for you. In a moment, as you take a piece of this bread and you hold it in your hand, what what Paul would want us to understand in 1 Corinthians 11 today is that this bread is not the body of Christ, but it symbolizes the body of Christ. And it symbolizes the body of Christ that endured pain and death on the cross, and he did so for you. So this morning, I invite our deacons to gather with me around the table as we prepare to distribute to you the symbolism of the broken body of Christ who dies on Calvary's cross for you. Deacons, would you join me, please? Congregation, would you join me in prayer? Father, we come today recognizing that this bread is only bread. But what it symbolizes is so profound that Jesus on the cross, through his pain and suffering and death, gives us a picture of God's love, your love. And he helps us to know in this passage that he dies on the cross for us to pay for our sin, to make atonement for us, to allow us to have a pathway into an intimate, eternal relationship with you. Father, as we hold this bread, help us to know the death of Christ for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I heard your cry, I 
I heard your plea. Now I give to you all of me. And now you are forgiven. It was our Lord himself who died upon the tree for us who said, This is my body which is for you. This do as oft as ye eat it in remembrance of me. There is a second picture we find in the text today. It's the picture of the cup. Look with me, verse 25, if you will. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. Oftentimes in Baptist churches when we're receiving the Lord's Supper and we hold the cup in our hands, that juice reminds us through its color of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. At times we focus in this portion of the Lord's Supper upon his blood that shed on Calvary's cross. 
But I draw your attention back to what Jesus says in verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, quote, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As we hold the cup this morning, I want you to focus with me on the new covenant in his blood. You see, the fact that Jesus mentions there's a new covenant that's ushered in through his blood that shed at Calvary, by implication, it reminds us there must be an old covenant. There must be an old covenant that God had with man, and that covenant is now being set aside because we now are under a new covenant with the Lord. There is an old covenant noted in Scripture. Come with me, if you will, to the book of Exodus, all the way over to the very early pages of the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 24, we see this old covenant. Exodus chapter 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all of the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. Do you notice in verse 3 the emphasis on obedience? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Verse 4. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain where 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in a basin and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and they said... All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. Verse 8. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. There's an old covenant in the Old Testament. It is a covenant that involves blood, but is based upon obedience. It is based upon man being able to obey all that God commands us to do. This old covenant was one that involved multiple sacrifices because man discovered man could never be totally obedient to the Lord. No matter how hard man tried to be obedient to all that the Lord had commanded, man discovered that there were times where his words were disobedient, his thoughts were disobedient, his actions were disobedient, and that disobedience had to be covered with the blood of a sacrificed animal. And so the old covenant is based upon disobedience that leads to blood sacrifice for that blood sacrifice to cover the disobedience from the eyes of the Lord. But we come to the New Testament. Jesus says this cup is the new covenant 
The new covenant, ladies and gentlemen, according to the teachings of the New Testament, is based not on obedience, but on grace. The new covenant is based totally not on man's ability to be obedient to the Lord, but God's ability to shower his people with his grace. And God's grace only requires one sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb on Calvary's cross. And so we come today to see the bread and we come today to look at the cup and we're reminded that when Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross, when he shed his blood on Calvary's cross, he ushered in a new age in which man is in a right relationship with God, not based on man's ability to be obedient, but on God's wonderful grace through which he showers us with forgiveness when we repent where he keeps us through his blood in an eternal relationship with Christ, with the Father when we put our faith in Jesus. Jesus says this cup represents the new covenant, the new covenant of grace brought to us through the sacrifice of one sinless, spotless lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So deacons, I invite you to gather with me again around this table. Church family, I invite you to join me in prayer as we thank the Father for this new covenant of grace. Father, we thank you that as we look to this cup today, we're reminded by the words of Jesus of this new covenant. This new covenant ushered in through his shed blood on the cross this new covenant that says we don't have a relationship with you, Father, based upon our ability to be obedient, but we can have a relationship with you through Jesus and your grace. And so, Father, we thank you for the grace poured out at Calvary and the grace poured into our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
out for you. This is my cry. This is my plea. That you would take all of me. Please be seated, gentlemen. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. come now to one final point in the text, a point that we cannot overlook, and that is the promise contained in the Lord's Supper. Look with me, if you will, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, our purpose this morning, and then here's the promise, until he comes. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is coming again. His coming a second time is promised in this text. It is that promise that gives us hope. It is that promise that gives us joy. It is that promise that makes life worth living. Jesus Christ is coming again. And this morning, I would say to you that when Christ comes again, you must be ready. When he comes again, there must have been a time in your life where you have surrendered your life to him. When he comes again, there will need to have been a time in your life that you ask him to forgive you of your sin upon which he died on the cross for. 
that you've asked him to come into your life to be your Lord and your master and your savior and you have surrendered your life to him. When Jesus comes again, there will have need to have been a moment in your life that you took the clay of your life and placed it in the hand of the potter, the Lord Jesus, to mold and shape you into the person he longs for you to be. My friend, Jesus is coming again. Are you ready for his return? Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed. In a moment, we will stand together as a family of faith. In a moment, we'll sing together a song just as I am. Our invitation to you this morning is for you to make sure that you're ready to meet Jesus when he fulfills his promise, when he comes again. Have you trusted in his broken body and his shed blood on the cross? as payment for your sin? Are you willing to turn from your sinfulness and surrender your life to Christ and to let him mold you and shape you into the husband or wife, the son, the daughter, the parent, the child he longs for you to be? Are you ready for his return? If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I encourage you to make that commitment today. I will be here At the head of the aisle, I'm willing to share with you, to pray with you, to help you in any way to commit your life to Christ. You must be ready when he comes again. Maybe your church membership is somewhere else. God is leading you to be a part of this church family. Would you come this morning? Maybe you've reflected on last Sunday's sermon on baptism and and you need to have the proper order of your baptism or you need to follow the Lord for the first time in believer's baptism, would you be willing to come and say, Chuck, today, in the weeks to come, I need to follow the Lord obediently in baptism. Father, would you move upon your people? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us to be ready when Jesus comes again? That is our prayer in his strong name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.